Welcome to Mysteries to Die For, Toe Tags. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is normally a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of murder, mystery, and mayhem. Today is a bonus episode we call Toe Tag. It is the first chapter from a fresh release in the mystery, crime, and thriller, thriller genre. We do these live, so wish us luck, because the dogs are running around today. Today's featured release is Dead in an Alley by Sharon Mikelove. Dead in an Alley was released August 10th, 2022 from Coffee and Eclair Books and is available from Amazon and your favorite book retailers. All right, let's jump in to chapter one. Sherburn, Michigan. Derek Anderson walked out the back door of the restaurant kitchen, pulling out a pack of cigarettes and his lighter. His wife, Bay, didn't like him smoking, but he definitely needed one, or three, to be the genial host this evening. He didn't mind that his day started at three in the morning. The quiet in the restaurant soothed him, and he forgot everything while he baked all the bread and prepared the desserts for the evening maybe even tried out a new idea or two. Then he'd take a nap before helping base at the tables for the dinner service. Today had been fraught. When he got back in the late day, he had it out with Vince about the missing cases of wine, and despite the man's protestations of innocence, he gave him his notice. Then he had a call from Wally Volker, the financial backer. Derek needed to break Wally's stranglehold on his balls before he left for a new life in the Maldives. A friend there had offered him a chance to manage the four themed restaurants at a new luxury resort. Besides the career boost, diving and surfing made the whole package irresistible. Why had he thought that Michigan would be a good place to escape his New York problems? Just now, he'd had an argument with the sous chef, Ellen Passion, and needed to cool off. He dropped the cigarette butt and grounded viciously with his toe when he heard the roar of a motorcycle revving up. Bay. The back door slammed on the suffocating kitchen atmosphere, Derek going out to the alley for a smoke, even though he knew I wanted him to stop. Ellen, our sous chef, glowered over a lemon sauce. Vince, our sommelier, leaned sulkily against the back door. Leaving them to brood on their own, I did a last-minute check of the 15 tables for the first dinner service. We were booked for both seatings. As the only fine dining establishment in Sherburne, we realized early on that having set dining times worked better than a constant stream of customers. People from all over the area, both locals and tourists, had embraced the concept and our restaurant for over two years. Our dream of creating a destination restaurant in my northern Michigan hometown had come a reality. We renovated a disused 1889 brewery located on the edge of town, close to the highway, creating the perfect space for our upscale restaurant. The venture cost more money than we had planned, so we found a guy in Detroit who specialized in funding startups. Rubbing my back as I straightened up for the last time, I looked with pride at the dining room. We had wanted an upscale but rustic feel. Snowy white tablecloths were covered with Inex hammered stainless steel silverware, and the handles designed to look like twigs. 
handmade pottery that looked like the lakeshore in blues, greens, purples, and sand came from Claybanks pottery down the road in New Era. Deep forest green napkins were folded into double stars, part of our signature look. In a few short years, Derek and I had managed to make a success of our move from the frenzy of New York City restaurant scene to my hometown of Sherburn, Michigan. Above the dark paneled wainscoting, we had exposed brick darkened from years of brewing. Rough hardwood flooring stained black and pressed in ceiling enhanced the antique look. We festooned one exposed brick wall with enormous prints. Derek matched his brilliance as a pastry chef with a natural gift for photography. His award-winning pictures illustrated our cookbook, Sherburn Bistro, American Classics. Breathing deeply, I drank in the scent of grouse that permeated the space. Today marked the opening of grouse season in Michigan and our special price fix menu featured a British themed dinner for tonight. Derek's friend Jason and my brother Toby went out hunting a couple of days ago, giving me time to hang them before plucking and cleaning them. I had brined them in a mixture of hard apple cider, fresh orange juice and peel, herbs and spices for four hours. Then I had a sprinkling of bay leaves put into a pan, giggling a little while I brushed olive oil over their fragrant flesh. My parents loved trees in the Laurel family and named the three of us girls Laurel, Bay, and Olivia. I guess they couldn't stomach olive. They told us that they expected all of their children to be crowned with success, and maybe my capricious fairy godmother thought it would, with a name like Bay, it fated me to be a chef. Looking at the array of oysters heaped up, ready to be opened, I reached for one and run my thumb over the shell, admiring the geologic pattern. Then I picked up a curved oyster knife sitting nearby. Pry it and go it. I examined the flesh clinging to the pearlescent interior, then lowered my nose to inhale the scent of the ocean, briny and enticing. I loosened the flesh and slid the mollusk into my mouth, savoring the salty mineral flavor. I had to walk away before I ate them all. We'd had a special menu printed up for the dinner, which I carefully laid atop each plate, planning to offer it once a week through the end of the year. Sherburn Bistro, the glorious grouse dinner, baskets of breads, starter, oysters with champagne mignonette, Rhode Island Moonstone, Maine Glidden Point, Bayonne, Pemaquid, Chester Bay Old Salt, Washington State Shigaku, Kumamato, California Pacific Gold. Salad, frise with foie gras, pears, and cherries dressed in oil and sherry vinegar. Main course, whole roasted grouse napped with a wild cranberry game sauce. Pilaf of rice mixed with mushrooms garnished with chopped hazelnuts. Sweet and sour red cabbage. Dessert selection, Nigella Lawson's chocolate Guinness cake. Cambridge burnt cream, sticky toffee pudding, crenichon, treacle tart, cheese plate, white stilton with mango and ginger, Colton Bassett stilton, Montgomery Fairchild's cheddar, Parmigiano Reggiano DOP, water biscuits made in house. Hearing Ellen's bad temper instructions to the prep cook, I went back into the open kitchen with its wolf range and two freestanding ovens, a deck oven for breads and a convection for pastry. When I heard the sound of a motorcycle revving up outside over 
Ellen's harangue, I saw the door to the alley propped open. Vince must have gone out to join Derek in the last cigarette. The skid, the scream, the sound of breaking glass got my attention. Vince barreled through the door and grabbed me by the shoulders. You don't want to go out there, Bay. I tried pushing around him. Why not? Oh my God, it's, it's Derek, he choked out, eyes rolling. It's, it's a hit and run. Call 911. An ambulance? He shook his head. It's too late for that. Just have the police come. Vince dropped heavily to a chair and clutched the signs of his head with his shaking hands. When he finally looked down at me, rivulets ran down his cheeks. He kept clearing his throat, but no words came out. I stumbled across the room to the phone at the reservation stand and I dialed 911 and gave them the small amount of information I had. They told me to stay on the phone until someone arrived. Only a few minutes elapsed before I heard the sirens. I informed the dispatcher, hung up, and then went back to Vince. He watched as a team of police officers exited the two squad cars. An ambulance pulled up behind them. Putting a hand on his shoulder, I tried to shake him to attention. When he turned to look at me, tears still dripped from his run-rimmed, swollen eyes. Hit by a motorcycle. When I got out there, the rider peeled out, left him there, surrounded by trash, broken and bleeding. I rushed over, but he... He died. Never said a word. Tremors hit me. I sank to my knees as the sound of a screaming enveloped me. Dead? Dead? No. 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 I wanted the voice to shut up, to leave me to mourn. My voice. And I couldn't stop screaming or the tears as I curled onto the floor into a ball of despair. I don't know how long I lay there, helpless to do anything more than cry. By the time the police swarmed in, Vince had helped me to my feet and got me into a chair. With the back door open, late afternoon sun lit the scene, but my vantage point didn't allow me to see Derek. I looked down, and my watch glinted back at me. We were supposed to open in a little over an hour. Vince hovered in the corner, and I called out, Vince, could, could you put a sign on the door and start calling people with reservations? Tell them we're closed. He nodded and walked toward the reservation stand. Mrs. Anderson, a policewoman, stood in the doorway. Bishop, I croaked. She checked me out, her lips pursed, eyes narrow. Okay, Miss Bishop. Her arms were folded across her chest. I'm sorry for your loss. Fresh tears welled and I wiped them away as I sniffled a few times. Th thanks. I could barely push out the words. Did you see anything? My head bobbed a negative. I wouldn't let her see, Macy, Vince yelled from the dining room, sounding both protective and belligerent. My head snapped up and I stared at her. Macy Collier had gone to school with my younger sister, Livy. Even though I had been back for more than two years, I didn't realize that Macy had joined the police force. How the hell did Vince know her? I thought you moved to Detroit, I asked. She flinched at my tone. Didn't like the big city life. I came back about a year ago. Guess you didn't notice. Hands on her hips, she said. You came back, too. Livy didn't say anything, I said. She shrugged. We don't hang out much these days. Our lives kind of moved on different tracks after she went to Pratt. She cleared her voice. Are you going to question me now? Just waiting for De Detective Fairchild, she said. He'll be in charge of the case. I stood and rolled my shoulders. Do I need to ID the body? Not necessary, she said. The scene is pretty gruesome. Just as well that Vince kept you from looking. 
Gruesome. What did that mean? I slumped back in my chair, my lungs working hard to get in any air. I'm sure the detective will explain everything, she said. Macy leaned against the open kitchen door watching us, occasionally turning her head to look as out as the police team scoured the alley for evidence. When a man in a plaid sports jacket loomed up behind her, Excuse me, Officer Collier. She stepped aside. Miss Bishop, I'm Detective Fairchild. I looked past Macy as she moved to let Fairchild pass through. A few inches taller than my 5'5", shaven head, dark eyes, and stumble dotting his jaw. He closed the door, scratched his cheek, and leaned against the big work table. Not a typical hit and run. Your husband looked like he might have been targeted. Whoever hit him deliberately ran over the body multiple times. I could picture Derek lying in the alley, his body mangled and blood everywhere. My gag reflex clicked in, along with my overactive imagination, and I barely made it to the large commercial sink, pushing the dishwasher as I doubled over. Then I wobbled to my feet. Ellen handed me a glass of water. Swishing warm water around cleared the sour taste in my mouth. I put down the glass and stared at the floor, my mind a world of conflicting ideas. I couldn't understand why anyone would want him dead. True, Derek could be prickly, but that didn't get you killed. People came to the restaurant for his desserts. None of that added up to being murdered by a motorcycle. Could it have been a mistaken identity, I asked? Macy snorted. He's dressed in his chef's clothes, minus the tall hat. Toke, I said absently. Fairchild glared and Macy's mouth snapped shut. I stared at the grouse and began putting plastic wrap over the plans. Seeing my sous chef, slack-eyed, leaning against the counter, I called out, Ellen, start putting these back in the cooler. She jerked to attention, then robotically came over and picked up the pan, immediately dropping it to the floor. Sorry, her face drooped, a study in misery. I motioned to the commie, just get it cleaned up. Then I went back to covering the birds. Alan picked up another pan and shoved it in the refrigerator. Fairchild cleared his throat as he gazed around my kitchen at the small audience. Do you have an office? He asked. As we walked out of the kitchen and down the short corridor, he said, Are you contacting your customers? I looked over the edge of the desk, then nodded. Don't give out any information, he said. Just say unforeseen circumstances. I'll, I'll go tell Vince, I said. He's making the calls. When I got back, Fairchild sat behind the desk, fingers tented under his chin. I bristled at the way he had co-opted my space. Then reality socked me in the eye, and I collapsed into the chair. Did your husband have any enemies you know of? My lips pursed while I thought over his question. Derek fit in surprisingly well for a big city boy, learning to fish and hunt. He hung out with my brother and his friends, joined Rotary, and went to the lunches. Not here, I said. We moved from New York to open the restaurant, but I don't think he had any enemies who would have followed him. Why did you choose Sherburn? He leaned the chair back, his tone conversational. I'm from here. We wanted to open our own space, and northern Michigan is much less expensive than New York. Less competition for fine dining, too. We could see a better future. Fairchild's phone beeped, and he gave me a look that said, get out. Excuse me, he said, but I need to take this. I walked out the door, leaving it slightly ajar, and leaned against the wall. He mumbled something, but I couldn't catch the words. Then he called out, Miss Bishop, you can come back in. He started to speak as I crossed the threshold. The ambulance is going to take him now. 
Then the office door slammed against the wall as my dad walked in and glared at Fairchild. Bay, you okay? Dad? Why are you here, Mr. Bishop? Fairchild asked with icy politeness. Vince called me. I'm going to take you home, Bay. You can find her at Bishop Inn, Detective Fairchild. I almost laughed at that description. Bishop Inn hadn't been my home for almost two decades. Even though I agreed to move back to Sherburn, our uneasy truce kept me on edge. My parents fell in love with Derek. I felt like the outsider. My dad arriving on the scene threw me. Fairchild's lips twisted at my dad's pronouncement, but he managed to stay. Fine, we're still working the scene and the med medical examiner has to look at the body. I'll be at the end sometime in the next few hours. In the meantime, may I m use your office, Miss Bishop? I'll let you know if we need to remove anything. My eyes searched the office, but I didn't see anything incriminating. What would you need to remove? We'll need to go through your business records and check the computer. I'll need the password. I can have an officer work here, but we'd rather take everything back to the station. Get it later, Fairchild, my father said. Can't you see she's in no state to talk to you? Fairchild brushed past my dad. I tried to stand up again, but my legs wouldn't hold me, and I dropped back into the chair. Dad leaned down and kissed my cheek, then pulled out a handkerchief to mop my face. Deciding that today, my family could be my refuge, I stood up and let him put his arm around me. Let's go, kiddo. Let your staff close the place up. I scanned the dining room. The kitchen had emptied out, and everyone stood around, looking at me. My eye caught on one of the special grouse dinner menus. I picked it up, tore it into pieces, and watched the tiny scraps flutter to the floor like snow. Ellen, our sous chef, made shooing motions. Go home with your dad, Bay. We've got this. I threw her a grateful look as my dad led me out. A siren stuttered, then blared the ambulance. I swallowed down the bile that rose in my throat as I thought of Derek, encased in a body bag, being located, being loaded into the meat wagon. We'd been together for ten years, married for six. We were a team. I couldn't imagine how I would be able to go on without him. And there you have chapter one from Dead in the Alley yeah, by I Sharon Michael. I cannot, <coughs> crap, I cannot figure out how to end that little progression. Anyway, uh, I love the meat wagon. That made me so happy. That made you happy? I don't know why. The meat wagon. Did everybody notice that Jack had picked French violins for our very fancy restaurant? No, because it just sounds like I picked something and then put it way too high. It, it's it better than the accordion like one that you had. That really sounded Italian to me. But yeah. maybe that's just because my Uncle Rico p played the accordion. That that always makes me think of Italy. Fair enough. Fair enough. So Dead in the Alley was released on October 10th. I'm sorry. I know what month it is. August 10th. Um, from July 18th through August 12th, Dead in the Alley is on tour with Partners in Crime book tours. Check out a link in the show notes. So... Now is the time for my review. <laughs> Jack smiling. So this is a second time around romantic suspense story. For those of you not familiar with the term second time around, it's uh, when love has escaped. So generally the characters in these stories are a little bit older. And in this case, uh, Bay and her love interest, whose name is Greg, are in their late 30s. Oh, great. My monitor just turned off because it's perfect timing for it to do that. All right, 
So Bay Bishop has moved back to small town Michigan with her husband Derek to start an upscale restaurant, as y'all heard. It's a success in so many ways, but then Derek is killed in a hit and run right outside the restaurant's back door. The investigation takes an abrupt turn when a connection to drug trafficking is found. Enter Greg Musgrove, the narcotics detective and high school boyfriend who ghosted on Bay nearly 20 years ago. Rating Dead in an Alley on a five-point scale against the perfect romantic suspense, I give this one three and three quarters. So let's talk about the strengths of this story. Um, the novel weaves together uh, multiple storylines. So we get engrossed in the investigation into Derek's death and Bay's grief over the loss of her husband and coming to grips with what you'll learn in chapter two is their not so perfect life. The love interest, Greg, who you haven't met yet, um, he's juggling his own work, a new business venture, and the realization that he still loves Bay. Bay becomes conflicted, um, trying to figure out how she feels about being in such close quarters to Greg, and as alluded to in what you just heard, Bay has issues with her parents. So these different storylines are influenced by each other, which really makes for a compelling story and a rich tapestry. Um, the main characters, Bay and Greg, they're both likable, and the main supporting characters add some really good texture. Uh, Miss Michael Love's culinary knowledge shines through. I hope I didn't butcher her menu too badly. She did have to coach me through some of it. Any errors, of course, are mine. Um, but if she cooks nearly as well as she writes about the food, then yeah, I want to go to her house. What did you think about some of that, Jack? My mic's on. Yeah, uh, that was pretty pretty cool. Especially having recently gone to France, it's like, oh yeah, that would be good. That would be good. Yeah, I was definitely paying attention to that part. <laughs> Stop it. What? Well, look, okay, I'm just saying, in the grand scheme of everything I'm listening to, I'm going to space out. It's a half an hour of me sitting here playing notes, you know, man? No, man. No. No? I expect more of you. I expect you to listen and think about music, and I know how incredibly hard that is, and I could not do that, so you awe me with the way you do listen. Uh, where the story fell short of the idea. Um, if you've listened to this before, you know that logic is my number one test. And the logic in, in the story, the mystery logic, it was reasonable, but it wasn't the strongest. Um, I walked away with a lot of questions about why characters would do certain things. And that usually for me is my telltale that something logically didn't hold up. And I will say that those logic questions didn't settle around the main characters of Bay and Greg. Uh, but more so with the culprit and some of the side characters. With so many storylines, it isn't surprising that there's a lot of characters, and keeping them all straight was a challenge that I failed at. Was this my fault? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it, it took away from the story being ideal when there were times where I was like, wait, is that a brother? Is that an employee? Um, people who are better with names than me, I would hope you wouldn't have that same challenge. Um, I haven't decided where I fall on the start of the romance itself. Being romantic suspense, it's obvious where it's going. Um, but, as you heard, Bay loves her husband and is truly devastated when he's killed. So it's hard for me to buy the quick turnaround to the going after the one that got away. And, and Miss Michael, I've actually, I said the one that got away, but it's not like Bay's like chasing after Greg. Um, Anybody who's a romantic suspense fan knows that part of the genre is that the spark comes early and it comes hot 
and um, it, it all is in a very compressed timeline. So knowing that, you know, it's just part of the game. I think this is likely one place where readers will fall into different camps. Some won't notice this at all. Others will notice it but have no problem with it. Some will notice it, say they didn't love it but they got over it. And then others will notice it and, and have a problem with it. All in all, I really enjoyed the book. I'm glad that I finished it and that I had the opportunity to read it. So bottom line, Dead in an Alley is for you if you like second chance redemption romances culinary morsels, and rich storylines that immerse you in the lives of the main characters. So check it out today, Dead in an Alley by Sharon Michael Love. It's a good one. All right, Jack, you can take us out with a little more French violin music. Well, that was a wrong chord. That was a wrong chord, that's what he said.